0: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: Recorded
3: live. Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed.
4: have changed. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, April 1st, April Fool's Day, 2011. Episode 203 comes to you from Studio C in beautiful McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania. My name is Joe Hughes, or Radio Joe. Here with me in the studio is the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick.
3: I always like working with you on Friday, Joe. Good day, Cliff. Always a good day, isn't
4: it? Uh, At the controls is our engineer, Austin Stone Cold. Novak. Oh, there it is. All right. All right. Today's segments include we've got the IAQ radio trivia question, we've got an interview with Chuck Violand of the Violand Management Associates. Looking forward to talking a little business today. We'll have our halftime, we'll bring in uh, Pete Consigli, say hello, and of course we'll do the roundup at the end, bring Dr. Dieter in, and uh, make sure that everybody's got a chance to ask that final question. Check us out on Facebook at uh, IAQ Radio Program. We've been updating and adding a blog as well to the IAQ Radio website. Check out Cliff's blog at iaqradio.com. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors.
3: Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com.
4: John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at johndon.com.
3: Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfacts.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products.
4: All right. To contact the show, you can just follow the link from the show announcement or, of course, go to our website, iaqradio.com and go to the link that says go to the show. You can also download shows later at the iaqradio.com website. You can stream them or go to the show link. You can download, and, of course, you can get them from iTunes. We also have ABIH, IICRC, and ACAC continuing education credits by requesting a quiz from me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. And last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website, for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question.
3: Thanks, Joe.
4: Our mouse is dying on us here. We've got, uh oh. Can
3: you do it with the pad? All right, well, let's just go for it. Win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Email it to cslotnick at cs.com. Or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, just text in your answer. Congratulations. There it is. <laughs> to, to Andy Krasowski, Comcast Metal Products. Mars PA for correctly answering last week's trivia question, identifying the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire as New York City's worst industrial accident. The IAQ Radio trivia question for Friday, April 1st, 2011 has been sponsored by Cochrane & Associates, the indoor air quality Industries dedicated marketing and public relations firm. Now for this week's trivia question. Name the American statistician, professor, author, lecturer, and consultant, perhaps known for his best work in Japan, where from 1950 onward he taught top management how to improve design, product quality, testing, and sales through various methods, including the application of statistical methods. Back to you, Joe. All right, good one,
4: Cliff. All right, today's guest is Chuck Vion of Vion Management Associates. Chuck certainly understands the unique challenges of small businesses. He owned a commercial cleaning and water damage mitigation company for 26 years. He founded the Violin Management Associates in 1988 as a consulting, teaching, and training resource for the owners of small businesses. Chuck is also known to many for his no-nonsense business building advice, that he regularly presents in trade publications, speaking engagements, and his weekly management e-zine Monday morning notes. Since 2004, VMA has partnered with the Corporate University at Kent State Stark to offer the Violent Executive Summit, a college-level executive development program that brings to small businesses the same high-impact training employed by Fortune 500 companies. Chuck and the VMA team of experienced advisors devote themselves to helping business owners achieve long-term business and personal success. Their skills in operations, leadership, development, sales building, and recruiting hiring are being tacked by companies across the United States and Canada, and we've got some intro music and want to thank Chuck for joining us.
5: China said, oh yeah, it's business time, it's business time, it's business It's business time. That's
4: what you're trying to say. You're trying to say, let's get down to business. It's
0: business time. It's business. It's business time. All right. Hello,
5: Chuck.
4: Do we have you on the line? You've got me on the line. Hi, guys. All right. Welcome to IAQ Radio. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Great music, he comes up with something every week here I, you know <laughs> you, you never know what he's going to have here but um, we enjoy it let me ask uh chuck let's go back a little bit in time here how did you get started working in you know the disaster restoration industry you had that business there for 26 years and um i'm curious how you got started
0: well actually uh it's a good question joe uh you have to go back quite a ways 1977 and actually had a marketing company. And one of the things that we offered was business opportunities in carpet cleaning business. This is way back. And uh, that kind of morphed from there into owning my own carpet cleaning business, which then uh, morphed into uh, a mitigation, water damage mitigation company.
4: Okay. So you were doing marketing, sort of business development type stuff, even back as far as, uh, what, 30 years ago or more now, huh?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mostly Mm -hmm. marketing.
4: And, uh, you know, we, we chatted a little before the show, you are you an Akron Zip as I understand it? I am an Akron Zip. All right. We've got a, a Kent State, what are the Kent State guys there? And we got a Golden Flash here in the studio. and uh, Yeah, nice. Got a, The MAC Conference is well represented here today. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, what made you des- decide to go from the disaster restoration services and, you know, become a, an advisor to small business owners?
0: Yeah, you know, Joe. I, I think that really gets down to passion. You know, I think that my passion has always been to grow things and uh, to develop people. I think fortunately, uh, I was able to parlay my experience in my own business into working with other guys who own small businesses. So it's I, building things goes way back and even into my childhood. So you know, that's, I've been a pretty lucky guy. Uh,
4: I while I was preparing for the interview, I just happened to get my my edition this month's edition of clean facts magazine it was it was kind of ironic and i look in there and there's an article by today's guest i'm reading the article and i said well i've got to ask chuck about this now there as a part of this article you discuss using a questioning technique to help develop their mission statement Mm -hmm. and there were three questions what gets you up in the morning what keeps you awake at night and what have you done about it can you help us with maybe some uh some of your own experience with respect to, obviously, you're passionate about this, so is that what gets you up in the morning?
0: Absolutely, that's what gets me up in the morning, and I, it's probably what gets most of us up in the morning. The thing that, really, that we really are passionate about, we can't wait to get out of bed and get to work on, on the things that we're pursuing. Um, in my particular case, it started out with owning businesses, as I continue to with my practice, my consulting practice, um, but it was also with my cleaning and restoration business years ago. And before that, I had food a food processing company, so it's it 's always been about business that 's gotten me out of bed and it just kind of grew into helping business owners and developing people within their organizations still to this day
4: what what kept you or, or keeps you awake at night
0: um, you know the frustrations uh, the unresolved issues that are taking place in your business in the particular article in Clean facts magazine, Joe. What I was referring to were typically the things that keep us up at night or that don't allow us to sleep are the stressors that we have in our businesses, uh, whether it's uh, uncollected AR, whether it's employee issues, whether it's customer issues, sales issues. Those are the things that typically keep us awake at night, whereas our minds continue to work through those issues. And you know, we, most of us still have those from
5: time to time. Mm-hmm.
4: Rather than ask you what you've done about it, let, let me ask what, what you do to help others figure out what to do about the things that either get them up in the morning or keep them awake at night.
1: First thing is write them
0: down. You know, when you write them down, you're no longer circulating them in your head. And a lot of times when we have a lot of these things floating around in our head, they, they kind of accumulate and they gain speed. And when we write them down, just on a notepad as a starting point or on, as I mentioned in the article, on index cards, it it puts it in writing. And now we have something tangible that we can work toward. And it's a very simple technique, but it's very effective.
4: You know, that's you really hit something. For me personally, I when I wrestle at night, I'm having trouble sleeping. I've got a little notepad next to the bed there, and, and I'm afraid when I'm thinking about it, I'll forget about it the next day. So I do write it down and it, it seems to help. And I never even thought about it that way until you just talked about it.
3: I was going to oh, say, yeah. what gets me up in the morning is the sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're an early riser, huh? Cliff? Not really. That's, that's uh, when the sun comes through, you can't sleep anymore.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, Cliff, let me, let, why don't you go ahead and ask the next question there. Okay. I, I've been uh, hogging um, the mic here, but I love this.
3: The, um, you know, I, I think sometimes uh, an owner's ego may get in the way of business and how do we get him to acknowledge that and then how can we get him to avoid this problem or, or change
0: the behavior? Yeah, that's a great question, Cliff. I, I, I think there's a couple different dimensions to the question. First of all, an ego isn't necessarily a bad thing. We all need an ego and in my opinion most business owners have a significant ego not necessarily out of control but a significant ego and that's what allowed him to be confident to go into business it's when the ego gets out of control and it becomes arrogance and then can even grow into hubris that it really starts to be a starts to be an issue probably the number one challenge that I face, and that I know the other guys here who are business advisors with me, that we face in working with our clients is an uncontrolled ego. Uh, it's their, their unwillingness to hold up the mirror to themselves. They're willing to hold it up for other people, but they, they're reluctant to do it for themselves. Uh, the number one strength, I suppose, of the good leaders is having a really good read on just who they are. They understand what they're good at. They understand their blindsides. They're always reflecting back on what they're doing and uh, what they're doing and, and how they get pulled off track by other people or by other events. Uh, they're very self aware. They're found, actually, their foundation of self awareness. A couple years ago, I uh, wrote a series. I write a, I write a weekly newsletter called Monday Morning Notes. Not real creative, but it's effective. Um, but I wrote it with a Dr. Holly Bogner on the very issue of egos. An uncontrolled egos. And a big piece of it is just helping that owner come to the realization that the world does not revolve around him, and he's got other people involved in the business. And that's a long-term project sometimes.
4: Hmm. You know, Chuck, you part of what you do is um, you assess the skills or behaviors, just like an ego, that owners have, and then you kind of help them work through understanding those skills and those behaviors and you know how to make them work and you know in a positive way for them and one of the things that a lot of owners have is a lot of energy they're energetic people and as i understand it from reading some of the information you've written that can be a double-edged sword can you tell us why that's a double-edged sword and and what you do to help people make sure i guess they're on the right side of the sword
0: Oh yeah, it absolutely is a double-edged sword. You know, when when you think about uh, lots of lots and lots of energy, you know, there are some people that we can associate with that. You know, Teddy Roosevelt and um, um, Harry Truman were two presidents who were well known for their high levels of energy, and in many ways, we're still living with the legacy. A lot of the, of a lot of the positive things they did. So a lot of energy is a good thing. The challenge that we have is when it mutates into the negative side of having high energy, and with a lot of business owners, it it causes them to not focus long enough on things to allow them to mature, whether it's a strategy or just a project that they're on, to achieve the result that they're after, and they're all over the place. Uh, there was a, a time several years ago, I haven't done any research lately, but several years ago, when... 40%, fully, fully 40% of the clients that I was working with were clinically diagnosed with ADD. And so there's a ton of energy there and a ton of creativity. And the challenge is that when you can't focus that, it's just all over the place. And so the real key is for people who have lots of energy to surround themselves with people who can help them stay focused kind of like um, steam, if you will. If you boil a pot of water, you've got a lot of activity and a lot of steam. But when you capture that steam, you can power locomotives. And that's how it is with a lot of energy in small business owners. Unless it's channeled, unless it's captured and focused, it's just a lot of wasted effort. How do... um...
3: I guess why do these clients find you, Chuck, and and get involved with your consultancy program? Do, do, are there some common problems that they have?
0: Great question. Um, I don't know if there's common problems. I, that was Cliff, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Cliff, I think. But <clears throat> excuse me, I think what most of them. I'm going to get a drink of water here, guys. Sorry. No
5: problem.
0: I think what most of them, what happens is that they grow their businesses and the business grows beyond their ability to manage it, their skill set. And they find themselves walking into a forest. Um, They're not exactly sure how they got there. They're afraid to move forward, not knowing what's out there. And they're afraid to move backwards. And so they contact us to help them navigate that growth. And when you think about it, when you own a small business that's growing, every day
1: you're moving into
0: uncharted territory. And that can be scary. And so what we bring to the table a lot of times is the fact that we've been there before, that we can walk with them, show them the path and the steps that they need to be taking. And that's how we work with them.
3: Chuck, would it be uncommon for a potential client to approach you that has you know, some pretty significant financial problems
0: no not at all Um, I think the real issue there is that a lot of times they don't know they do and so they're just kind of flying blind they're in pain and so they come to us with um, financial problems and quite frankly a lot of times that's the easiest client to work with you know let's face it when you're when your back is against the wall you have one direction you're looking straight ahead and all you want to do is get out of the mess. And so we've got their attention and they have focus. It's when they start making a little bit of money or when they start having a little bit of extra time that we find all kinds of ways to do things with it. And we tend to get ourselves in trouble again. I'm getting, I'm going to go back to the focus thing. We lose our focus.
4: You know, you mentioned as a part of the people that have a lot of energy and that's being a double-edged sword to surround yourself with with the right kind of people what if you've got business owners and a lot of them i believe in this in the iaq industry not so much the disaster restoration world but they're they're very small businesses they may have one or two people and they're really energetic and they get on a chat room or something like that and you know they're they focus all their energy on that and they pound away at it how do you recommend people like that get themselves and pushed in the right direction as opposed to focusing that energy on something like a chat room. Jeez. Tough one huh? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with the chat rooms. <laughs> no. But
0: <no, no>, no. <laughs> well, I think what, what happens too often in, Joy, and join maybe this is what you're referring to, is that because we have high energy and because we are easily distracted. I think that's part of the makeup of entrepreneurs, quite frankly. Uh, we tend to chase the newest, the latest, greatest thing down the street, um, kind of like a dog chasing a car. We're not always sure why we're chasing it, but we just can't resist it. <laughs> and so we go after that. Um, I think the key is, if, again, it sounds so simple, but it's not easy, is to write it down and then to surround yourself with people who will help you stay on track. Gotcha. And sometimes that's not what we want.
4: I know what I try to do is archive. I, I'll, I'll write a draft and then I'll put it away, and I won't look at it for another day or two because I know if I hit the send button, I'm going to regret it. So <laughs> it's something I've learned to do over the years, and it's really paid off for me.
3: I write stuff down. I just can't find it when I want it. Again. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. Well, let's
4: let's go on to what you call peak performance. When when I was reviewing your website, you know, one of the common reasons or that business owners don't unleash what I guess what are one of the common reasons business don't business owners don't unleash their peak performance
0: again I think that we tend to get in our own way as business owners Uh, most of us uh, have strong entrepreneurial traits and uh, these traits are, are great in the launch phase and in the infant phases of our business the challenge that we run into is that as our businesses grow once again they can become weaknesses rather than the strengths that allow us to launch our business high energy is one of them i think you can also look at hardworking. you can look at people who are creative confident you know those are some of the traits that we bring to our business when our businesses are starting to grow i should say when they do grow they can get in the way our creativity Uh, as crazy as it might sound, uh, can cause problems in our business because it allows us, or that same trait uh, allows us to start looking at different things. We become impatient with uh, things that are going on in our businesses. Uh, If we're hardworking, we expect everybody in the organization to be hardworking, and we can get tunnel vision with things, and we fail to look beyond ourselves. So, when we talk about unleashing peak performance, what we're talking about a lot of times is helping business owners, and then again, as the business grows, getting into their executive team, helping them understand what they're best at and what they're not best at, and then uh, uh, what I want to say here magnifying the things that they're good at and helping mitigate the things that they're not good at by surrounding themselves with. People who have, uh, who can help them stay focused.
3: You know, Chuck, there's only so many hours in a day. Yep. And regardless of how hard we work, we only have a a certain amount of time. Do you find that among your clients, how they manage their time contributes
0: to either their success or their failure? Absolutely. 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 And when you go back to that, it really gets down, you know, goes back to classic Covey stuff. You know, what is it that you're focusing on? It isn't necessarily how you use your time, but the things that you're using your time on, and are they what you should be doing? A lot of times, what we find is that as a business grows, the owner's role changes in the business. And if they're not aware of how that role changes and what they should be doing with their time, they tend to default to comfortable behaviors or familiar behaviors that might be familiar, but they're not doing the right thing. As a matter of fact, a lot of times we're stepping back into other people, the roles of other people who we've hired in, and we're just stirring it up.
4: Let's move to business planning, if you would, here, Chuck. You know, business planning, I've... I- every time I see a business course, one of the first things they discuss is your business plan. Mm -hmm. I may be, I'm not sure, but I think I'm in the studio with a guy that probably never had a business plan. All
3: right.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And he's one of the most successful guys I know. Now I'm just curious how much emphasis do you put on having a good business plan with the people you work with? Oh,
0: it's a starting point. Now with that said, um, I think it's important to understand that you don't have to have a business plan to be successful. And just as you were saying, if Cliff never had a plan, there's no denying Cliff's success. However, I think that you also have to look at there's a lot of companies without business plans who fail. And, and worse yet, worse than failing is just floundering year after year. Let's face it, uh, failure is pretty basic, black and white. You're, successful. you're in business one day, you're out of business the next. And for entrepreneurs, no big deal. We move on to the next thing. But what we also want to take a look at is the collateral damage that's done to the people who happen to be on or in our business right now who maybe aren't going to be able to move on to something quite as readily. But even more than that, if you go one step further, it isn't necessarily the worst thing when the business fails The worst thing is when the business does not fail, but just kind of flounders year after year and never really achieving the things that the owner went into business to achieve, just sucking the life out of him and out of the people within his organization. And a lot of times simply writing the plan down, articulating it in writing gives you the focus to move it forward as advisors to small business owners. It's a crucial part. If the business owner doesn't have a crystal clear picture where he wants to go, pretty hard for us to advise him. I mean, we're just throwing darts. So the starting point is always writing down where we want to go. And ours get pretty detailed, Um, not formal necessarily, but detailed. And so we help them write that down and capture the information from the people within our organization, the key people. And then a big part of what we do is help them work through the execution part, the follow-through part.
3: You know, I just wrote something down. And, I, and I've tried to do business you know, plans, and, and, and I think I just realized what it is. I think for me, it's, it's what is now, and then there's what may be. And what is now is happening now. I can see it, I can feel it, I can touch it. What may happen in the future may or may not happen, and you're normally going to change it. Like if you have a budget, you know, you're either mm-hmm. going to be above it or you're going to be below it, but you're just never going to hit it exactly, so you end up changing it. So, you know, mentally I always wonder, like, why, you know, why do I need it? Or if I have to change it anyway, you know, like, What good is it? But you know, I understand the I understand the need to do it. But for me, it's just always been. I think it's the ADD stuff. It's it's more about (laughs) the now.
4: (laughs) That's great. That's great. Well, you know, how often do you recommend people pull out that business plan, look at it, and revise it?
0: Oh, uh, we recommend that they pull their business in the first place. When we work with the client, we have it all the time. Out in our conferences. What I would suggest for any business owner is that you take a look at it monthly. Now, you aren't necessarily gonna revise it, but you need to review it monthly. And you certainly, if you have an organization, let's say that's a million dollars or bigger, you wanna work with your key people to review it at least twice a year. We suggest that any business revise their plan at least yearly. That's why we do strategic planning retreats every fall. But if your business is what we term a fast growth company, and we determine a fast growth company as anything that's any company that's growing 20% a year or more, we recommend that they meet with their staff monthly on it, that they, you may even be into revising it on a quarterly basis. I mean, that's moving, that's cooking along, and that's probably what Chris is referring to. And the stuff
4: changes. Yes, it does. Well, let's uh, Before halftime, I want to move to the management development section and, and helping people develop management skills themselves and also helping them develop people within their organization that will assist them with management. First, I'm curious about your thoughts on the self-help type books available on developing management skills. Are there any that you would recommend or do you tell people don't waste your time with them?
0: <laughs> no, no, no. We don't tell them that. All right. And yeah, there's a whole bunch. There's a whole bunch of books um, that we recommend. As a matter of fact, I have a uh, a list of books. If anybody's interested, I'd be happy to email it to them. Okay. That we use for our executive development reading. Joe, probably the best uh, starting point on on books that I would highly recommend to anybody. Any of, the, any of the listeners here is a book called "What Got You Here Won't Get You There." by Marshall Goldsmith, and Goldsmith is just amazing. But this does a great job of helping executives, again, understand uh, their behaviors, understand what they're good at, and what they need to be developing in order to move their businesses forward. All right. But anything by Goldman or Ram Charan, or Gladwell, or Maxwell, or John Cotter, those guys are all good writers. You
3: know, while we're in the subject of books, I- I think that you know there are probably two or three books that I that I read in, in my life that were really the, the one that had the most impact on me, and I thought it was the best business book I ever read was called The Goal. Are you familiar with that? Jack? Oh,
5: oh yeah,
3: yeah, it was phenomenal. The Goal. <laughs> I think that yeah. Goldrat. I can't remember the. Uh, the what is it again? The author's name was Goldrat. That's the, right. Guy that wrote it. Yeah, he was a physicist, oh. and it's written as a novel. Okay. As opposed yeah. to a business book, and
0: uh, and he addresses he addresses throughput, yeah, and, throughput
3: and stuff like that. Yeah. Really, really well done. Thanks. It is a well done book. I agree.
4: Well, let's uh, we're going to go to what we call our halftime Chuck, and we'll be right back with you if that's okay with you. Sounds good to me. All right, let's thank our sponsors. <laughs> Our association sponsors are the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com.
3: The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org.
4: And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test
3: instrumentation.
4: Visit them at wolfsense.com.
3: Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental and consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com.
4: And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions, and advertising information available at ieconnections.com.
3: John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. Johndon,
4: and, of course, Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at CleanFaxwithanx.com and cmmonline.com.
3: Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services.
4: Okay, let's get back to our interview with Chuck Violand of the Violand Management Associates. Chuck, I want to talk to you a little bit about restoration project management. We've got a pretty good-sized restoration audience here. And I also want to thank Pete Consigli of the Restoration Industry Association for helping get you on the show here. Now, I I understand you also just did a special project management workshop at the – RIA's convention, and that was part of a prerequisite for the water loss specialist program. And that you do similar type of work with project management through a program at Kent State. Can you tell us a little? Oh, by the way, that was the Kent State uh, march song there, or fighting song there <laughs> at halftime. <that> <laughs> Is that from
5: Austin? Yeah, that <laughs> was
4: from Austin. Our, our, our engineers at Kent State, man. So had to get in the alma mater there. But uh, can you tell us a you little pass. bit about that program and, and, and what the objectives are?
0: Oh yeah! I'll tell you what—that's uh, a great program. We just uh, ran it two weeks ago. First one—it's the first full-scale project management program in the restoration industry. Uh, the objective that we established with it is to help owners of restoration companies uh, produce more projects with deeper profitability by applying structured project management principles to the restoration to restoration projects. It's—it was a powerful program. It's. Uh, Five and a half day program with five webinars that go with it, and we were able to tap into Kent State University's faculty, uh, project management faculty, to really elevate the caliber of the program. Pretty excited.
4: Yeah, we just had Dr. Randy Rapp on. I guess it was three weeks, two or three weeks ago now, and they, you know, he he's with the Purdue uh, Construction Management Program there, and they have the Disaster Restoration Concentration. I'm curious if you talked a little bit about uh, the different programs and how they might work together or what you can learn from each other?
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Actually, I was just uh, talking to Dr. Rapp, and his program at Purdue, at least this is my opinion, that his program at Purdue and our program with Kent State are kind of like complementary bookends to restoration project management. Uh, The Purdue program offers college students opportunities to learn the skills they're going to need to run restoration projects. And our restoration project management program, the one that we do, takes seasoned restoration project managers from the industry, who typically learn their craft either from the owner or on the fly, just learning it as they were doing projects. And we help them uh, successfully manage projects more profitably by using developed project management disciplines. Uh, It's not just about Gantt charts, budgets, but it's about—I mean, although we do include that—but it's also about communication. Uh, how do I communicate with all the parties? We have a very strong negotiation component in the program that we do, and uh, to end up with better outcomes on projects and deeper bottom lines. So it's a—it's uh, really a good program.
3: Yeah, it would seem to me that there, there's one thing different between what you and Dr. Rapp deal with with restoration professionals as opposed to what purdue might deal with and kent state might deal with and that's chaos because you know know, if you're building a high-rise building you know you can certainly run into problems and so on and so forth but i mean this business can change overnight or you know just
0: hourly (laughs) hourly
3: you know so how do you deal with that
0: well, that's a big part of what we deal with in our particular program. Now, I don't know about Doc or Ramps, but I know in ours, a huge part of what we emphasize is the whole planning process, as crazy as that might sound, in a chaotic situation. I mean, we don't have the time to take drawings back and put together a sophisticated project. However, organization is a huge part of successfully running projects, and so we introduce organized ways to run restoration projects to get as much information for the project manager to get as much information as he can up front. Uh, When they do that, it really puts them in a much better position to uh, earn a profit on the project, but even more so to be in a stronger negotiating position if that becomes necessary, or I should say when it becomes necessary throughout the project.
4: So the the documentation and the planning up front helps you on the rear end with justifying why, say, your costs are what they were or why they should be even more than what they were.
0: Yeah. Okay. I think, yeah, absolutely. I think too often what happens is that we get sucked into the whole chaos thing. We're We're in a chaotic industry, and... If we allow ourselves to get sucked into the disorganization or the chaos of a restoration project, we're automatically starting out in a weakened position. I think we need to understand that it's part of our responsibility to bring organization to that project and not get sucked into it.
3: You know, it's almost like an emergency room. You know, like uh, yeah. you have a, a busload of patients that come to this emergency room and they have different levels of injuries and maybe even some fatalities, you know, if it's a severe accident. How do you show these folks how to get involved with prioritizing and decision making? And I mean, how do you teach that? That's a
0: huge, uh, actually, Cliff, that's a huge part of the program two and a half days, well, just about an entire three days are focused on exactly the organization of the project. We use a process map that runs the whole project. It's a big process map that we hang on the wall in the classroom. And it runs that project from the incoming phone call through successful completion of the loss and collection of the money. And so it laid it out in an organized chart how each step, follows another step and which ones take place at the same time the instructor who does the backbone of the program is a guy named bob jewell and he teaches project management in general at uh, for professionals at kent state and that's a huge part of what he gets into is following that whole timeline the whole gantt chart thing through it
4: Yeah, you know, that's that's really interesting to me because you you would think I think I see a lot of people, they get the project, they finish the project, they get it done, and they don't realize that nobody really recognizes what they got done because there's really no documentation to fall back on, you know, and they've done a great job, but, you know, it's like, but you didn't document what you did, and then when you're done obviously when you know when you're in the middle of a disaster you're the hero and and you're the guy everybody wants to see but when it's over they don't ever want to hear your name again i think at times so you've got to make sure you document those things that's great great uh, and it, great advice it, and you're right
0: if you don't have the right documentation there is one person who's going to want to know hmm. and you don't want to have a conversation with that person yeah
3: yep yeah. all right well Cliff? Talk, what about estimating do you get involved with um or What can you teach a restoration firm about estimating that they don't already know?
0: Well, we don't teach estimating in the project management course. We assume that the attendees, because there are requirements to be in it, but we assume that they know how to estimate. We have a separate program that deals with estimating, scoping and estimating restoration projects. And that's a two-day program that we also do, but it's it's separate from the restoration project management program. We do that one several times a year, not only here, but also throughout the country.
3: Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about what would be covered in that scoping and estimating program, because I think they'd
0: oh, be sure. interested. Yeah, i probably start by saying what's not included in it. We, this is not an Xactimate training course. Okay. Uh, once again, we assume that people know how to use Xactimate that are coming to the course. What we do is we show them how to walk on to a loss, scope it, take a look at all the different things that have taken place, make sure that you capture all the data that you need to put together uh, an estimate and making sure that you're not leaving any money on the table. And then we show you how to lay the estimate out so that it reduces the risk of having it get kicked out from the insurance carrier or get beat up by the adjuster. And so it deals with communication, and again, a little bit with negotiation, and a lot with understanding how to put that estimate together.
4: Mm-hmm. Now, Chuck, is there any one or a few things that are commonly in your experience left on the table?,
0: well, I think a lot of times when we don't know how to when we don't know what a carrier is looking for, or when we don't know how to lay an estimate out so that it doesn't raise red flags. I think we're setting ourselves up to leave things on the table or to get them kicked off the table if they are on
4: cliff did you want to cover that one i got a text question I think. yeah actually
3: and i'd like i kind of like to comment on that one actually uh, we had a, actually had a text question and what that is is why isn't rs means used as a way to provide estimation for environmental cost data including mold scoping and, and restoration um one of the challenges with RS and it's very, very construction orientated and it doesn't have a lot of information for the, the different tasks that are required to do mold remediation. It doesn't have the cleaning. It doesn't have uh, you know, building containments. It doesn't have the rental of the uh, equipment and so on and so forth. So hopefully that answered the text.
4: Chuck, anything you'd like to add?
0: I think Cliff covered it really well.
4: Okay, great. Let's go to win more often. I Like I said, I went to your website, I pulled these <laughs> off. I'm like, all right, what is win more often, Chuck? He's teaching people how to play poker. I
5: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hold them. Well, yeah, we didn't want to say that, though, Cliff. Okay. <laughs> no, winning more often just has to do with the restoration estimating course. We want people to be able to go out there and win more estimates, get them while they're there but also be able to win at the back end when they have more profits. Once again, I think a huge part of the frustration with doing losses is that when we don't set the estimate upright or the invoice upright in the first place, that we set ourselves up to have them beat up by adjusters. And a big part of that program is starting with the estimate and setting it up correctly, making sure you have all the data, making sure that it is going to make it through and then being prepared, having yourself backgrounded with documentation so that you can support anything you're doing in it. Once again, what we've learned is that a lot of guys who do restoration estimating fall, you know, get drawn into that whole chaotic uh, setup, and they fail to collect everything they need up front and to document the things they need to support it at the back end.
4: Cliff, do you want to hand i got another text coming in here, Chuck. Yeah, we have a, a Cliff's, Cliff's okay. reading it over. Should we
3: eliminate the terms estimating and bidding and use terms such as uh, propose or proposal? Estimating is not accurate. And what do you think, <laughs> Chuck?
0: I like it. Uh, I like it a lot. This is a guy, I don't know who it is, but it sounds like he was in a sales program that I did years ago. I used to hand out rubber bands, thick rubber bands, that I had them put over their wrists and I had them write bid on one of them and hope on the other. And if they ever find themselves saying bid or hope that they'd snap it, then eventually they'd stop using the words. I absolutely agree with that.
3: Um, yeah, the, the the word estimate, I think the big problem is – is with it and it's probably not as big of a problem as it used to be but in the yellow pages when it used to be really really thick and you went through and you looked at the d- <laughs> different headings everyone yep. said uh free estimate free and free I th- estimate. and I think what it did is it devalued it so I think hmm. the word damage appraisal or uh appraising it I think um you know, people typically realize if they're going to get an appraisal on their house they probably have to pay for it so uh, yeah well that's
4: that's good Good uh, information. You know, I've always was a little confused by that because I came from a different background than Cliff and your and yourself, Chuck. I was in more of the indoor environmental quality, asbestos abatement, lead abatement, hazardous waste stuff, and we we never used the term estimate. I, it was always a proposal, or it was a you know. Uh, we put together proposals, essentially, and that's the terminology we used. And I, I'm starting to get used to the terminology here, like protocol. I, I mean, I hear the terminology protocol a lot in the disaster restoration world, and we never use that. We use the project design or you know project manual of some type of specification. So the terminology is interesting in the business. It is interesting. Let's uh, let's move on to sales and marketing here. What's the difference between sales and marketing, and, and how do you handle working with business owners, if you can give us a little overview of how you get them to improve their sales and marketing.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, Joe, I think that there's a lot of, let's, we're going to talk about terminology here. I think there's a lot of confusion about the terms sales and marketing. Marketing, in its purest sense, really deals with a company's position, their place and their location, with promotion, and then it deals with publicity. Those are the classic four Ps of marketing. Sales is part of the promotion part, and when we talk about sales, which is usually what we deal with here at and Management with our clients, we're talking about everything that has to do with social media up front, you know, networking through that, or through traditional networking formats with um, affiliate organizations, all the way through answering the phone, through going out and calling on prospective customers, whether it's an agent, an adjuster, property manager, healthcare official, whoever it is, all the way through the end of the process and being able to manage those conversations and being able to manage that whole sales process from beginning to end. And so selling, in my opinion, is different than marketing. And we we need them both, but Most of what we do with our clients and most of what really takes place within a restoration business, in our opinion, has to do with selling. It's just that so many of us don't like to – we don't like salespeople, so a lot of times we don't really want to be thinking that we're selling.
3: Chuck, in the work that you do with your clients, and there might be more than one answer uh, to this question, is it one-on-one or do you – do like skull groups where you, you know, organize groups of clients together and they kind of share some of their information and, uh, you know, financial and, and marketing and so on and so forth? Or do you blend the two together or do you do something different?
0: Most of our work is one-on-one. It is uh, you're working with an owner or you're working with his management team. We have opportunities, networking opportunities, for our clients to get together at the different events that we do. We have one coming up next week, sales and operations conference, where one day addresses selling restoration services, the other day addresses operations issues in restoration companies. And we're doing that at a client's location, which is what we do every year, different client location. So they have opportunities to get together and kick ideas back and forth, explore best practices. But most of the work that we do is one-on-one over the phone or on location with the client, helping them identify the challenges they're having, and then walking with them through the execution of the things they need to do to improve or to grow. You know, we, I don't know if that answered your
3: question. No, it did. It did. And I think what you do is you give each client a customized uh, approach and and specific solutions to their problem is rather than you know trying to put them in general groups with other people who may or may not have exactly uh, you know the same issues.
0: That's exactly right. If business issues business issues are are fairly consistent at different sizes as your business grows. Most businesses encounter similar challenges. It's the it's what the owner, the individual owner and the team that he has that they bring to it that make it unique. And so in working with them one on one, we're able to work those business challenges with that unique group of people.
4: Makes sense. Let me let me try and build a text message into a question here and I want to try and get one more question in on a, a similar topic. Before we go to the roundup, the text is sales is the final step. Marketing is the process leading to the delivery of the services or products. Would you agree with that, Chuck?
0: Can you repeat that again? Marketing?
4: Sales is the final step. Marketing is the process leading to the delivery of the services or products.
0: It can be, although selling is part of the marketing. Gotcha. So selling is also leading to the delivery of the product.
4: Then that kind of leads me to this one. What are sales building products for the restoration and cleaning industry? Can you give me an example?
0: Yeah, that's a specific reference on our on our website to a sales program I wrote several years ago. On It's called Power Selling Commercial Carpet Cleaning. Uh, the principles are the same as far as restoration is concerned, but it walks you through a process, a sales process, from identifying your customer to identifying what their needs are and then – uh, addressing their particular concerns with the services that you offer.
4: Let's let's go okay, to the roundup, Cliff. What do you think? Sure. Look, we're going to go to the roundup here. We're going to bring in uh, Dr. Wild, bring in Pete Consigli, and we'll all do one final question, if that works for you, Chuck. That works for me. All right, let's do it.
5: Move them on, hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw, high, cut <laughs> them out, ride him in, ride him in, let them out, cut him out, ride him in, raw.
4: Let's bring Dr. Wow on first, and then we'll bring Pete in. Uh, we've got to unmute Dr. Wow. All right, uh, Dr. Dietrich Wow, I know this is not yes, one of
2: yours. <laughs> it open in C minor, it, I love it. I know <laughs> Good this afternoon, isn't... Chuck.
0: Good afternoon, Doctor. How are you?
2: Oh, just fine. How are you doing? I listen very carefully, and even though the 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 subjects which we covered are certainly not in 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 my arena or my expertise, doesn't matter. Anyway, um, congratulations to Andy again. I know Andy quite well. <laughs> I hope he is not the only listener that he always... were. there was a battle <laughs> today.
4: There was a battle. It was
2: a toss-up. And, you, know, <laughs> you know, I mean, this is getting suspicious. <laughs> <laughs>
4: He's good, dude.
2: But, no, anyway, I, I listen to a couple of things uh, very carefully, and certainly some of the topics have an influence on my business. Now, I have one question over here, and... Um, In the last 50 minutes, we haven't used the word dollars for one moment. (laughs) Now, here is, is, I happen to have a problem, which seems to get worse rather than better. Uh, I wrote in 2011, I wrote, I think, 19 or 20 invoices. I haven't gotten, I got paid from one of them. Uh, by the way, that is Andy's boss who paid me. <laughs> <laughs>
5: so
2: that, and I have a couple of invoices from November and December of 2010, and I want even well, I do mention it, uh, an invoice from uh, March of 2010 for 3,000 bucks that I still haven't gotten paid. Now, is there, yeah, where I grew up. You conducted a business over a handshake. You didn't need a lawyer. You didn't have to have a signed contract. You didn't need any of that. If you broke a handshake, nobody would ever, ever, ever talk to you. Today, if you bounce a check and if you jump out of this and that, nobody gives a damn. But that's how I grew up. And I don't know. I mean, should I really do everything with a retainer, send me money? I lost one client. Thank God I lost them was a company in new jersey and they owed me money over a period of two years and they finally paid something and i just didn't have the time uh to uh, put up with that all that garbage and then they called me again and said hey we need your help and i said you send me three thousand bucks and then i talked to you said i can't do that Thank God they never called back. <laughs> well, that's, a,
4: that's a great question, Dater. Chuck, what do you suggest on, you know, getting yeah, I mean, that, I, I think
2: that's somewhat important, right? Absolutely. In terms of collecting your money?
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think, but you know, I think that this gets into a, a mind game that a lot of small business owners play with themselves. And a lot of us, and this might sound crazy, but you see it over and over, a lot of us view accounts receivable as money in the bank. Yeah, baby, that's money in the bank. I'm going to get to collect that at some point. Well, it is money in the bank. It's the pay. it's the wrong bank. <laughs> get it out of there and get
4: it into yours. I like that. Yes,
5: that's good. So yeah, we do
0: have
4: to
5: collect
4: it. Absolutely. Let's go to Pete Pete Consigli, the watchdog. What do you got that? What do you got that here, Pete?
1: Well, I uh, I mean, I enjoyed listening listening to the chat, and I. Um, I think that it's probably something that should continue on. I, I like to focus, if you know, primarily. You know, the the the, the show has really kind of been uh, normally more technically based, and I think you get you've had interviews in the past that have got involved in you know changing trends and things like that. But I think you know at the end of the day, and just listening, you know, to Dieter talk, if 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 people don't work on their businesses and deal with things that are going to make their businesses be more successful, it doesn't matter how much they know, they're just not going to be around anymore. And I think um, the, the one comment I would have that you had asked Chuck a little earlier in the interview about different types of books that maybe uh, have influenced him are similar to ones that have influenced me, whether it's Michael Gerber e Myth, the Stephen Covey Seven Habits, Collins' work, Good to Great and Built to Last. I mean, these are the kind of things that, you know, uh, are discussed the important issues, but they're not always urgent. So sometimes business owners don't always, you know, kind of want to concentrate on that. And the work that Chuck does and others in the industry is what really can, you know, account for long-term survivability, no matter what business you're in. And um, I guess the final comment I have is that guys like Chuck and, and others that support their 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 industry trade associations, you know, as honest brokers, um, uh, they're going to get mutual benefit. And the things that companies do independently as commercial enterprises are different. In the work that they can do by supporting ria and iqa and you know the other industry associations where people in the trade can come together and co work collectively to do things that they couldn't do individually so anytime i get the chance i'm always going to support you know the organizations uh that want to advance you know the profession so um, anyway i enjoy the interview you know, Chuck, wanted to make a comment on a couple of books and stuff that I said? Uh, you know, I think that maybe be helpful for the listeners. Thank you, No, Pete.
0: actually, Pete, one of the best, one of the great books that I read on business you recommended to me years ago. It was called "Working Without a Net" by Morris Sheckman.
4: I oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah, yeah it's it was... outstanding. uh, Before we go here, Cliff, do you want to get one more in? I know I have one I want to ask Well, no, I
3: I do, actually, and I I, I just want to thank the rug chick, actually, because um, she didn't really give me an excuse, but um, she just explained what was going on, Chuck. And, you know, what she said is that, you know, entrepreneurs, it's in their DNA to have the marketing plan in their head and I believe yeah. I did have it in my head and do have it in my in my head all the time. I just don't always write it down, you know. So uh I agree with her. I got validation now. So that's good. <laughs> oh, that's great.
2: Well, I, now, Cliff, uh, uh, Cliff, if you're getting as old as I am, you better start writing it down. <laughs> I, <hear> you. <laughs> you know, I have a ton of things in my head, and then I think about it, and I say, what the heck was <laughs> oh, <yeah.
4: laughs> Well, let me, uh, let me finish. I really wanted to ask you a quick question on hiring people, Chuck. And I, I know you know we're running a little short on time, but maybe you could just comment on how you help people with making good decisions about hiring other people.
0: Well, there's programs that we do on hiring and the clients that we work with, we work very closely with them when they're hiring key people. But, Joe, probably the place that I would go at the outset is that in order to attract a, we refer to them as a player, the best people to your organization, it's really crucial that the owner is in the right place in his own mind. A lot of times, that's the real obstacle, is that we aren't ready mentally for high caliber people in our organizations. And I think too often we approach the whole hiring process with the mindset that uh, what is the most I can get out of this person for the money I'm going to pay? And that's a mistake. What we ought to be asking ourselves is what's the most that they can get out of me as a business leader? How will they cause me to grow? How will they cause me to be a better business owner? That's great. And so we need to get it right.
4: Good advice. Well, before we go, Chuck, anything that you'd like to add before we go?
0: No, I really appreciate it. I, I was kind of curious about whether there was any significance to the fact that I was on on April Fool's Day. <laughs>
4: no. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not at all.
0: <laughs> and I also did. I'm not going to. I'm not going to mention the answer to the quiz, but I will tell you well, that already my wife answered it
3: right. It's already. Oh, did they? A... Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. We got...
0: My wife happened to work with him.
4: Oh, wow! Really? Yeah. Uh, interesting. Oh. You want to give the answer, Cliff? It was Deming. Deming? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Deming. Uh, Okay. Well, listen, Chuck, we just want to thank you. This has been wonderful. Uh, well, I thank think you, guys. Great little change of pace to go into some business
3: management. Uh, Cliff, did you? Yeah, know? Chuck, how can our listeners learn more about you and your business? You yes, know? please.
0: You know what? They can go to uh, And uh, That's our website. V, uh, like in Victor, I-O-L-A-N-D. Whoa!
4: You got the that that was that's pretty good. You picked that one up. (laughs) <laughs> have you had that for a long time or did it cost you a lot? <laughs> I no, no, we've time. had it for a long time. <laughs> I was going to say, I bet a lot of people want that one. Excellent. Excellent Chuck. <laughs> well thanks again for joining us. This is uh Thank you guys. Before we go, I also want to thank the Z Man, Slotnik. Lotnick. great time, a nice change of pace, a little yeah, business man. stuff. Of course our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow. I wanna thank uh, the watchdog, yeah. Pete Consigli, for helping us out. Of course our engineer. Austin, Stone Cold, Novak, but most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners. We had a great live audience today. Downloads are still rocking. And thanks, and join us again for next week's episode of IAQ Radio.
3: Has been another IAQ Radio production.
1: Call recording has been completed.
5: With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.